Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even if I know I'm not the best, I brainwash myself into saying I'm the best. Because, like, if you leave one micro doubt in your head that you won't make it, you will not make it. You're listening to Crazy Smart Asia, a podcast exploring the unexpected stories of Asia's disruptors. I'm your host, Tamara Lemunier. Suki Singapura might just be the world's most introverted extrovert. Thanks to her starring role in the 2019 Netflix reality show Singapore Social, the self-described unicorn rainbow woman is now known around the world for her colorful hair, bold outfits, and even bolder personality. But there is a lot more to Suki than that. An introspective and socially conscious young leader, she wields her public persona with purpose. In 2015, after years of lobbying, she successfully campaigned to legalize burlesque in traditionally conservative Singapore, while overcoming her own crippling stage fright to perform the country's first legal burlesque show. She's since built a reputation as Asia's most in-demand burlesque performer, using the art form as a tool for female empowerment. Changing this perception has been nothing but an uphill battle for Suki, starting within her own traditional Indian-British family. In this episode, Suki speaks to Genty editor Lee Williamson about defying expectations, finding your own path, Asian representation in Hollywood, and how burlesque can change the world. Here's our conversation. Um, so Suki, I have to say, uh, I am impressed with your outfit even though you're on lockdown oh it's i mean i'm wearing leggings so it's not that, oh, <laughs> that impressive can't but yeah see that on the screen <laughs> i like a good 80s jumper so let's start uh briefly from the beginning if we can um sure. so one of the things you've done which has been well documented and i don't think we need to go over it a lot um is uh, the campaign for the legalization of burlesque in singapore mm-hmm. you know you were the first person to perform a legal burlesque show in the country another side of that which i think gets less attention is that by doing that, you kind of switch the power dynamic at play uh, from being something for the male gaze to something that empowers women. Was that your Mm. intention? Or what goal did you set for yourself when you decided to go down this path? So for me, um, it was, yeah, it was all very much all about empowering women. Although when I actually started out on this journey, it was about empowering myself. And so I had no idea that the monster that this would become, if you'll excuse the phrase. I I had no idea how big this was going to be because for me, um, I came from a very um, culturally strict Indian background, Indian Singaporean background. And even my British mother, um, she was extremely conservative. Um, and so I felt this desire to push a push back against that and, um, explore myself explore taboos like sexuality and liberation and and female empowerment and so that was my personal journey um and burlesque was a vessel for that it was everything that kind of resonated with that 
ethos. And so that's why I gravitated towards it and wanted to do it. And then in terms of the the larger campaign that it then eventually became, that wasn't something that I set out to do. But then when I realized the impact that it was having on other women and allowing them to also feel liberated and also feel, feel empowered by my journey, it then became a responsibility. So that's when I think it really flipped to perhaps I wouldn't have gone that far. I wouldn't have pushed that hard for um, for the, for the empowerment of women in Singapore and in general and in world, worldwide, had I not seen the impact that my singular journey was having, if that makes mm. sense. It does. It really does. And it seems like, um, you know, from things you've said, uh, in the past that you get quite a lot of stage fright and, and you're quite a shy person and, <laughs> you know, and Singapore social, you say you're a self-confessed geek and so on. So it must have been one hell of a challenge to, to go from that self-proclaimed shy geek into Suki Singapore, the, the, the burlesque performer that everybody knows. Uh, exactly how much of a challenge was that? And, and how did you go through that, that process? Did you just feel like you were wearing somebody else's skin for a while in, in public or how... How did you go through that challenge? Right. Well, I, I'm still shy and I'm still socially awkward. So I wouldn't say I've necessarily come out the other end, but I think that's kind of what makes me me. And so, um, I'm fine with that. But how, how did I overcome those challenges when I was so shy? I think it's not so much becoming somebody else, but when I'm put on a stage, it's almost like, or in front of an audience, it's almost like the fear becomes so huge that it triggers something in my head and a switch flips and I just light up like a thousand light bulbs are going off in my head and I can do the performance. And so it's not so much that I'm putting on the persona of Suki Singapore. It's the fact that when I'm put into that situation that really, really lights up every single light bulb in my head, suddenly I can just command the stage and... um it, it, it almost like it takes over me. The, the performance aspect just completely takes over me. But in those couple of moments up until that point, yeah, I'm usually quite, quite shy. But I've, I've always said that burlesque, burlesque is an interesting art form because it's not about being the best best burlesque performer or the best dancer in the world. That's not what burlesque is about. If we look at what burlesque truly is about and being true to the rhetoric of female empowerment and anyone can do this and feel comfortable in your own skin, it's actually about making other women feel like they can do it too. And so it's okay to be occasionally awkward. It's okay to make mistakes because what you're essentially doing is you're empowering other women to feel good about their bodies. And so when you consider that, I think it's easier to handle the mishaps that may occur because it's not about you. It's about if, if I can do it and I'm incredibly awkward, then you can do it as well. And isn't that what this is all about? Mm, absolutely. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You mentioned your dad um, or your parents uh, a while back. You, uh, you know, we spoke a little bit before about uh, your father's a clinical psychologist. Um, what is one of the most important things that he taught you when you were, especially in the early days, but even now, lessons that help you have helped you on your journey? Wow, no one's ever asked me that. Um... I, it just strikes <laughs> me that uh, it strikes me that um, the, the the transformation you've made, the decisions you've made, are all very self-reflective, very self-conscious. It right. sounds like the daughter of a, of a psychologist. <laughs> so I was wondering how, what kind of effect did that have um, or did he teach you anything that has uh, helped you on your journey? Yeah, I think really as much as I rebelled against my parents and as much so specifically rebelled against my father, I wouldn't be the person that I am today and I don't think I'd have got as far as I have without their upbringing, if you will, in terms of values and also the ability to analyze who you're working with. And I think that's been a massive part of my career is the ability to see something truly from somebody else's point of view. I know that sounds very, very simple, but sometimes we lack the empathy of people that we see who might be against us, who might be our competitors. And that actually hinders us rather than helps us. That actually rather than providing competitive um, motivation that can actually really stifle our progression because we'll end up cutting ourselves off from people who could be part of the journey. And so I think that ability to analyze and really critically think about the people that I work with, my colleagues, who's around me has been a big part of my success because I think when you understand where everyone's coming from, you you kind of, you, you forgive everyone of, of all sins. And I think if you leave a trail of not understanding the psychology of people and falling out with people, is that age old saying that, you know, that, that you, you screw people over on the way up and they'll screw you twice as hard when you're coming on the way down. And so I've always been, always been of the mentality that, you know, make sure that you never leave that trail of people that, you know, make sure you always bring people along with the journey. And I think that's, that's really helped the, the progression. That's definitely my father speaking, for sure. <laughs> call, call it karma, call it what you karma, will. I mean, definitely yeah. That will always reflects back on you how you treat other people. But also what you mentioned about being able to kind of empathize, being able to read other people, I think is mm. really, really important, especially in, in the creative fields. Right. And especially when you're going against the grain, uh, mm. sometimes. Mm. Like, do you feel that you, uh, the ability to read people kind of, as you say, is something that's been a, a, a you know, uh, uh, been a strength that you've had that's helped you on your journey? I think rather than read people, understand people has been a huge, huge strength in my journey. Um, because the entertainment industry is a very egotistical industry. And as I've gone to LA, I found that LA is a very, um, it can be a very superficial industry. And You're if you, kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. I know that sounds really obvious, but I mean, <laughs> even the people that you think aren't can be, mm. but they don't mm. necessarily know they're doing it. And so you can find people that, um, 
they think they're doing the right thing, but they're motivated by something else. And so learning and understanding that and being able to work through that and, and tread lightly on certain ego elements of people and, and know what and what to say, when to say and how to do it and also operate from a true place of, um, I'm not doing anything to kind of use anyone, but I'm doing things to bring people along on the journey really, really helps. So that perception of people and perhaps their, their, um, and vulnerabilities or their e- or ego that comes into play and that understanding of, of people does really, really play a massive part in, in all of this. And you do a lot of charity work, right? That people yes. might not know about as yeah. much. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to plug that a little bit. <laughs> no, jo- joking aside, um, where do you, um, you're someone that does put your money where your mouth is, unlike some people that, that you were mentioning. Um, what are the, ch- the causes that are closest to you? Um, there are a couple of causes that are close to me. I think when it comes to causes, it's, it's a little counterproductive to want to promote them because really that's not mm. what it's all about. But, um, mm-hmm. you're right. I do a lot of stuff that I don't speak about. And that's just kind of how I like that element of things. But the stuff I do speak about is I'm the global ambassador for the Sharon project. And that is a cause that's very close to my heart because it basically helps women, um, lead a life as a result of or after the consequences of disownment, or perhaps family disapproval, which is obviously something that myself and I'm sure many creatives out there, especially Asian creatives, have had to deal with and battle through and somehow navigate through. I think, well, first of all, that was, I think that was about 2013 that I I became um, a part of that charity. And the founder, Polly Hurrah, she actually personally approached me and said, do I, do I want to be involved? And she told her story and she told the story of the other women where women had been disowned perhaps from, I mean, there were a range of cases, but some of them had been disowned just for, simply for choosing the arts or some of them had been disowned because of forced marriage and they wanted to escape from those circumstances. And then some of them had been aff- physically afraid of their families and their families' perceptions. And there was... The ongoing theme was protecting pride of an Asian family over the well-being of women. And um, when I started in my burlesque career, those themes were very, very much a, a feature in my journey through burlesque in that my family and my parents specifically couldn't have been more disapproving of my career choice. And... At the time, I went through a lot of pain and suffering to push through that irrespective. And um, and still, when my father became ill, I pushed through that irrespective. And I think um, I did that because of the effect that it was having on other women and inspiring them. And it was a very painful journey. And it still leaves me with this kind of angst. And even though... Now, my family have kind of talked it through and I have a good relationship with my parents. Um, I still have that, that pain that I carry from how difficult it was to really push against the expectations of a medical family. As you say, I mean, my parents are doctors. The rest of my family are doctors or lawyers. It really is, unfortunately, very much the stereotype. 
And that causes so much pain um, for such a ridiculous reason, which can often be pride or the disillusionment that somehow the sciences are a more legitimate career path. And um, I just didn't want that to ever happen to anyone else. I, 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 I kind of made it a point of mine to try, if I could, to create a space in the future where another young girl like myself who was Indian, Singaporean or Asian or even just going against their family um, wouldn't have to feel that pain that I did. And are, and are you optimistic that that will be the case in in now 10 20 years time and are you optimistic kind of just more generally on on issues of gender parity you you know you you you're a vocal advocate not just uh, not just in in that space but the gender parity in general is it something you look ahead at a bright future of or especially given the political climate of the last few years is it something you're a bit more pessimistic about Actually, no, I'd say I'm a lot more optimistic about it. I mean, you only have to look at Singapore now and see that burlesque clubs have opened up, Lulu's Lounge, Employees Only, Marquee, all these venues are now holding burlesque events. And that's fantastic because, of course, at the base, at its base form, what that means is, is that they're supporting female empowerment and you're not policing what women do with their bodies. So already a massive difference has been made. Um, and then on a, on a larger scale, the Me Too movement kind of came out and it really shook things up. I mean, whether or not that sticks, I, I pray that it does, but, um, I think that brought us to another level when it comes to the rights of women and 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 gender equality. And so I do remain hopeful. But then you kind of, I, I recently traveled to India, and then you kind of go back to the ground roots. And um, last year, around October, I went to my grandparents' um, village, Kerala, in Kerala, and I went to a local school. And I sat in a classroom and I asked the kind of, regular young school children of this Indian school in this small village, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you like to be when you grow up? And all of them raised their hands and they were saying, doctor, I want to be um, a, a police officer. I want to be... And there was this one girl and she had henna on her hands and she was really quiet in the back of the classroom. And I said, well, what do you want to be? And she goes, oh, I want to be a doctor. But I could tell she was uncomfortable. And I said, oh, you know, is that what you, you want to do? Or is that kind of like, you know, why would you, why do you want to do that? And then she kind of opened up and she said, well, actually, I'd quite like to do art. But she was so frightened. And um, that really choked me up because she probably might not have had the confidence to say that to anyone else, but a random unicorn rainbow woman <laughs> who was standing in front of her in a classroom. And so she probably felt safe within that environment to say something because I like to think that I create a space for no judgment when anyone's around me. Cause if I look this ridiculous, then really you can disarm yourself because you're never going to look more ridiculous than me. Well, if you do, then oh, fantastic. <laughs> but, um, I I'd like to think I created that space and, and she said that. And then I realized at that point that 
just how far we are away in an, in the non-privileged environments. So it's, it's great, you know, it's great for us, people like yourself and myself to say, Oh, we're making a difference. It's great to look at Hollywood and go, you know, women aren't put in a position if they want to get a role. But then you go back to Kerala, where my grandparents are from in my family village, and you speak to women who, and young girls who, have no idea of that development and really their journey is right back at no change has happened and so I suppose in conclusion yes things are changing and I am hopeful but I think that more focus really needs to be done on going to the places that aren't glamorous you know doing the things that maybe are you know I've done, I've done many things like this and I don't post about them because sometimes it's not about, it's, it's too dangerous sometimes to do acts of good and, and conveniently <laughs> picture every act of good you do or it, it affects the, the Hollywood entertainment industry and then it's a massive news flash. But, but going out there on the ground and making the difference that no one might ever see or hear about. I think more needs to be done in that department. And I think when more gets done there, then true change will occur across the board. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, like you say, we are kind of in bubbles in Singapore and, and the UK and, and, and Hong Kong. Um, and, you know, for the most part, they're not watching the TikTok videos in Bangalore, yeah, you know. Exactly. But, uh, on, on the other side, if you'd have asked, if you'd gone into the same classroom 20 years ago, you probably wouldn't have seen girls saying they had aspirations to be doctors right so i suppose change is change is incremental it is it is it's just um absolutely 100 percent exactly so there there is there is a gradual change but i think um in order for there to be a full unified change at the pace that we really deserve it and are entitled to it as women um as human beings i think we need to do more what's next for you so you were in LA before COVID and so on. You have a new project. Uh, would love to hear more about that. Um, what's next for me in terms of LA? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> that's a, that's your, a very I good. See your eyes, I see your eyes lit up. Is that something, <laughs> is that something you're particularly excited about? Uh, yes. Well, I was until this kind of crisis occurred and, we, and I had to kind of fly out of LA when things were just getting exciting. But, um, yeah. So, so I suppose not that I'm abandoning Singapore, but, my career has kind of slowly over the last two years been headed towards LA and I've definitely been there a lot more. And, um, and it's kind of inevitable that when you reach a certain point within the entertainment industry, and if you're like me and I'm quite driven and I, I love pushing myself to achieve the next thing, you know, I'm, I, I like that. I'd like challenging myself. You kind of end up with, well, if you're going to, expand any more in this little entertainment industry you kind of need to be in LA it's one of those things and it's such a cliche but it's 100% correct you need to be in LA if you're not in LA 1% maybe even 0.5% of people will get a call from somebody saying come to LA you know the, it just did the, the whole even when you think of the Beatles or Elton John or you look at every other story even when there was more focus on talent rather than followers. People went to LA. Um, and so that's kind of where things are going. Um, 
And I had hoped to sort of straddle and settle down there and, and negotiate my career between Singapore and LA, but more on LA. Um, but that kind of got pushed back perhaps a year, two years with the COVID crisis. Um, but yeah, what I'm doing out there is very exciting. I think that the Netflix show that you mentioned, Singapore Social, opened up a plethora of doors for me in um, I hate to say it, but Hollywood, um, <laughs> Los Angeles. Um, and I'm just kind of, uh, I don't want to say too much, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been enjoying exploring those opportunities and those meetings. Fantastic. Sounds like a f- couple of NDAs have been signed and you can't <laughs> tell me too much more than that. Well, actually, what I can say is that it's always been a goal of mine to bring my style of burlesque to LA and also to have that brown girl representation in a very majority white industry because I think that with um, uh, Crazy Rich Asians yes Asians got a voice but where were the brown people in that film? <laughs> I've said it right. before. Um, and I know yeah. it was about a Chinese family, I understand, but I think Hollywood kind of let in Asians, but they were only fine with one type of Asian. And even Very when you, note. yeah. And even Wealthy when you, Chinese Asian, right. And even when you kind of go to LA, they, they say, well, you don't look Asian. And then I say, oh, I'm Indian. And they go, oh, right. You're Indian, not Asian. Um, and so it's been, it's been a big, mission of mine to really change that. And so that's what I want to do is bring my style of burlesque and bring a strong artistic brown woman um, to the forefront of mainstream entertainment in LA. Right place, right time really, really matters. I mean, you've all, you're always someone that's had connections. So you had tea with the Queen very famously, no? <laughs> Not with the actual Queen. I had tea at Buckingham Palace um, by invite okay. of the royal household. Um, but I didn't sit down and sip tea with the Queen. That would have been fantastic. But yes. Um... And I would have loved to have seen your outfit if you had have done. I'm sure you would have wrought it. There would have yeah, been two queens in the room, I have no doubt. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, two, uh, right place, right time will never go out of style, I think. In terms yeah, of but let, let me tell you about the right place at the right time. Because the right place at the right time is seductively misleading. The right place at the right time suggests that you just happen to be there at the right time and you got your break. And so many of us think that that's the case. And that could be damaging, you think? Well, when people ask me, how have I managed to achieve so much in the short space of time? I put myself in the right place so that it would be the right time. Rather than me thinking, oh, you know, I'll, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I'll hustle in Singapore and, you know, eventually like something will happen. It'll be the right place at the right time. I thought, no, screw that. I'm going to remove myself, even though like I'm going to have to self fund this. I'm going to remove myself from Singapore. I'm going to figure out a way of how to survive in LA. I will go to every single place that I know that cool people party or cool people hang out and I will make sure that I am physically positioned in the right place at the right time. And I think that is, that's the real luck. Like there's no such thing as chance. You create your own opportunity. Of course, there's a small element of it. Who's in those places? Who sees you? Are you doing the right performance for them to think you're good enough at that time? But of course, if you don't put yourself in that place, that the dream of somehow someone's going to discover you is 
just so, so, so minimal at the moment. I think social media helped because, of course, then people could see your your socials. But I think that there has become a fatigue for um, very famous people with zero talent. Certainly, as you say, one of the things that opened a lot of doors for you recently in the career in your career was Singapore Social. Right. But I assume that must have come at a cost as well, right? And clearly, you had to share, you know, parts of your private life with with the shows. How much did it feel like you were kind of had to be an open book, and it, it came at a cost? How much of it? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think. I'll- Okay, all open bookness, all cards on the table. Yeah, you're right. Um, many elements of that, you open yourself up to the devils that come through the door. And, and I love the production team, so I'm sorry that that was the analogy that I used there. Um, but it's kind of like you, you do show them you, um, but some things you protect. So, for example, my parents are not on the show. And... Um, that was their decision. I'm quite glad of it now. Um, but the other thing is, is that even though you allow yourself to be vulnerable, and my my personal strategy was, you can't control this, so just let go. She can either choose to manipulate the storyline, but I'm telling you now, after three days, you're so fatigued by 20 people surrounding you with cameras that you can either spend the whole time being stressed or you can simply f- jump off that cliff edge and just let go. Because no matter how you present yourself, with a filming period over three and a half months, almost every single day, they can edit you however they want. And so you have zero control. Of course, you say what's coming out of your mouth, but facial expressions an hour apart can be spliced together. And so you have no control. So I kind of went into that, yeah, um, just letting go. Because the one thing that they'll know is if you're fake. So I think um, being natural on camera is really important because you can smell fakeness. <laughs> I can certainly see it. And what I wanted to do was, at my own behest, at least be authentic. At my own behest, if I was going to cry, I was not going to try and repress that cry because then my face would look like I was repressing a cry. I would rather be honest or giggle or do some kind of weird, fugly facial expression and be true and honest to myself and not care about the consequences than look like I was trying to be something that I wasn't. However, it's because of then the editing process that it doesn't affect you as much as if it had been unrefined you. So because what came out, so I haven't actually watched, I don't know whether you know this, but I haven't actually watched the the show but I've obviously unavoidable heard all about it. And I've been told many things that I've seen clips because people are tagging me in, in stories and what have you. So it's unavoidable to see elements of it. And I think that even though, yes, that's me, you see, it wasn't necessarily me. It was a very curated version of me. Um, and so in a way, even though that is you, you can kind of distance yourself in that because it's now become a caricature of you with your most extreme elements 
perhaps over the course of four months spliced together to make look to make you look like that's the only human that you are 24 7 and so that characterization almost makes it feel like this is a film about somebody who has your name who lives <laughs> the way that you do but isn't necessarily you and so yeah is that it, the persona element we we're talking about before wearing the, the suki singapore skin or is that different no, it's uh, because I have no editing control. So even though, um, so, you know, we had no edi- editing control, we didn't see it before it came out. Like, we saw nothing about it, not even clips. Sure. So um, just as a quick uh, off the mic note, we have gone uh, way over what I wanted to do. We have yeah. so much great stuff on, yeah. on, on the uh, on, on the recording. So I just want to ask a couple of quick last quick questions sure. um, to see where they go. Um, but yeah, we have an unenviable task of editing this conversation down, um, cause it's been fantastic. Uh, so, um, this is a question, um, a couple of questions I ask, uh, most guests. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've, uh, achieved a good deal of success. I'm sure there's so much more that you want to achieve and will achieve, but lots of people already want to reach the level of success that you've already reached and, and, and never will, to be completely frank. Um, What's the difference, do you think, that's gotten you to where you are today? Wow. Um, I guess the difference is... Well, there's two differences. One, even if I know I'm not the best, I brainwash myself into saying I'm the best. Because like Muhammad Ali said, I am the greatest. If you leave one micro, milli, nano doubt in your head that you won't make it, you will not make it, number one. And number two, I use both my art and my science brain. My art brain allows me to create, and so that's kind of my skill. But my science brain allows me to execute it. And I think that you can be the most talented person, and Lord knows I am not. (laughs) You can be the most talented human being on earth, but end up a busker on the street. And the only difference between myself and somebody who may not make it is that I thought of it in terms of a science way, how am I going to get from A to B? And I executed it with my science brain. And that's really what gave me the edge, I think. So you had a plan and you executed I it. I had a plan <laughs> and um, I was a also... Hypothesis. Re- I had a plan, yeah, a hypothesis. Hy- I had a mean, a median. Um, no, I yeah. had... Um, I, I was realistic and um, I daydreamed, but I didn't allow myself to be like a dreamer. You know, I thought, well, if you want to achieve it, how realistically... Are you going to make this happen? And and wanting it is not enough. You've got to go out and get it. Um, my final question is a cheat question. Um, okay. <laughs> what? Uh, because it's a way of trying to get an interesting answer without asking an interesting question. Well, you can ask um, the interesting question. <laughs> well, I don't know what the interesting question is. It's like to be better at my okay. job, I suppose. Um, that's what, this is why it's a cheat question. Okay. Um, what one question has an interviewer never asked you that you wish that they would? Now you can see why I say it's a cheat question. Wow, that's so naughty! <laughs> What's one question an interviewer never asked me that they? I wish they would? Does it make you happy? I don't know. 
I don't know, you know, that is, isn't that the question? You know what I mean? Does it make you happy? I, I look at my quarantine life right now and um, I'm surrounded by five cats with zero career, sunshine, food on the table, a simple day-to-day routine with no stress. And I think to myself, why am I putting myself through this? The rejection, the constant no's, the, the fight, the struggle. Why? Is it truly making my me happy? Like, is it? And uh, will it? You know, will I ever be satisfied? When have I, in my head, achieved what I want to achieve? And then I think to myself, you know what, it's completely irrelevant because I can't help it. I cannot help it. Some people, no matter where they think that train is going to end up, they can't get off that train because they were born and designed to follow that that course through. And so irrespective of whether eventually this kind of like gives me this great sense of fulfillment or achievement, I can't not be Suki Singapore. Amazing. Well, I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Thank you so much, Suki. This has been fantastic. You're welcome. welcome. Thank you so much, Lee. And uh, please take care of yourself. That's it for another episode of Crazy Smart Asia. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please do leave us a rating and review while you're there. Gen T connects young leaders across Asia. And if you know someone who would resonate with these stories and take something from them, please do share the podcast and help bring them into our growing community of change makers. You can also follow Generation T on Instagram. We're at at Generation T underscore Asia and Facebook. And check out our website, GenerationT.Asia for more on the people, businesses and ideas shaping Asia's future. See you next time. 